2: I'm John Verhoeven and I was a cop back in Sydney in the
3: 80s. And I'm Paul Verhoeven, John's son. I'm an author and I wrote two books about Dad's time as a cop.
2: The first five seasons of Loose Units spanned my time in general duties, forensics, my time as a firefighter and even my stint running a funeral home.
3: But this season we're visiting the locations of Australia's most notorious, baffling, horrific crimes and looking at what happened there.
2: From Snowtown to the family, from the Morehouse murders to haunted highways, This season of Loose Units is your go-to guide to the worst crimes in Australian true crime history.
3: Welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Hello and welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. This week we are looking at the murder of Elizabeth Short, also known as the Black Dahlia. Now, if you have, in fact, spent the past week mulling over whether or not you should look at crime scene photos... We will post a link to some on the Facebook page, but they are pivotal to this case because of their unique brutality, the specificity of what happened to her body. Now, it was January 15th, 1947, and Elizabeth's naked body was found, well, it was found halfway between Coliseum Street and West 39th Street, um, basically in a deserted lot. And it was found by a woman called Betty Bursinger. Uh, about at about 10 o'clock and she was walking along with her daughter who was i think three years old at the time and her assumption and dad i'm sure this will give people a clue as to the state in which the body was found was that they had found bits of a storm mannequin Mm. now you've seen a lot of really horrendous stuff if you've read electric blue and loose units if you've listened to the show you will know that dad has dealt with i mean truly horrendous stuff people boiled alive heads just severed i mean incredible terrible things deep deep trauma inflicted on human bodies but your reaction when you saw these photos was kind of unique wasn't it
2: um yeah it was uh it's a ritualistic killing right um i'll just read something very very briefly to everyone because it uses a term that i had never heard before Okay. It says, um, crime scene photos showed that Short had been given a, uh, and the word is uh, hemicorporectomy. What does that a, mean? Yeah, exactly. Uh, a word I've never ever seen, hemicorporectomy, a procedure that slices the body beneath the lumbar spine, the only spot where the body can be severed in half without breaking bone, according to The Guardian. Further evidence of the mutilation was discovered. Anyway, we'll talk about other things. But cutting the body in two, zero blood. So I I have seen the uncensored photographs. Yes. And it's extraordinary. It's disturbing. It has messed around with my mind.
3: You said ritualistic. To me that,
2: I mean, it it looked to me and I
3: mean, we're going to go into more detail later on, but it looked to me like it was, uh, I guess the word would be
2: posed or arranged. Okay, think about this, everyone. You have a body into, in your vehicle. Okay, so we know for a fact, there are a couple of facts. Okay, fact one, was not committed there. Body was, and we know that the body was, the woman was tortured as well. We know that. And this is something I'd like to put out to all our, our forensic people that listen, of which there are numerous. A particular injury to her, to her, her face. Um, I, When we do sort of delve into that particular injury, I would like to know from our forensic people how they know that this particular injury on her mouth mm-hmm. was committed while she was still alive. That is, I'm intrigued. So I look forward to being able to find out about that. But to imagine you have got the body into, drained of blood, Mm -hmm. you, you want to... The body was not hidden at all, which indicates on the balance of probabilities that the person wanted the body to be discovered. Imagine going to such incredible lengths as the, the the criminal, be it male or female. We don't really know whether there were more than one people involved. Okay. Um, but you have a location in mind. We have seen the photographs of the street. It's basically a vacant block of land on one side. It's It's your classic black and white 1940s kind of drab wide street very very little traffic you rock up early in the morning we do know that it was early in the morning based on various witnesses and you take the two parts of elizabeth out of the car just basically next to a footpath right you don't just kind of these bodies this body has not been it's funny how i said bodies these two parts were clearly not just thrown out of a car. They weren't sort of dragged out. They weren't thrown. You can see they have been meticulously. Firstly, they've been realigned. Would you not agree, Paul? Yeah,
3: yeah. So exactly. it's
2: it. This, his he or she have sort of have placed them in a way that it's obviously when you look at it, it looks like a a whole person that's been cut in two. Mm-hmm. But the the legs have been sort of parted they're sort of at, a, at, a, at an angle and then and i think this is also unusual the the arms have been outstretched above the head and they are mirror imaging so if you draw if you put a mirror down half her body you will see that the left arm left leg are in mirror to the right arm right leg so there's a sense of Symmetry. Symmetry. Yeah. And then there's this terrible thing that I did research on because what <clears> the, the the person did to her, her mouth is that they basically cut from the left side of her, her mouth all the way up to her ears. So they're sort of sliced. The only... Well, the best analogy I can give, and they've done the same on the right side, again, a mirror image, and there's a term... Called the the Glasgow cut or the Glasgow smile, the Glasgow laugh. There are all sorts of insidious. Um, and there's a very famous actor. Paul, do you know the actor who's who it happened to?
3: Uh yeah, I've seen him in stuff. He was in Gladiator, I think. He was yeah, in a bunch. Correct. Yeah, he He was in um and um uh that show about the bikers. uh I, I know. I know who you're talking about. So yeah. they open
2: the, the 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 mouth and 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 something you know. sort of a really weird and kind of bizarre sort of mm. analogy is that it re- kind of reminds me of, of the Joker. Right. The character. Now, it's been said that that was done prior to uh, to her death and that is incredibly bizarre. She also had a tattoo and I, I believe you me, I, I did a lot of research to, to locate this bit of information. Mm-hmm. She had a tattoo of a rose on one of her thighs, that tattoo was removed. And I'm talking it was removed in a pretty radical way.
3: Oh, he cut it off.
2: Cut it out. Okay. He literally cut in an incised around that tattoo and 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 removed it. And there were ligature marks on her wrists and on her legs, ankles, and also around her neck. So it can be assumed that she was um, tied down right. and um, and basically tortured. Now, at the scene of the crime, as you say, the, the woman, the first woman with her child, she was actually going to get some shoes re- repaired. She called the police and weirdly... Or perhaps not weirdly, I've been thinking about this. I mean, I, I can't imagine what was going through her her mind once she realised. Um, I mean, she says she thought it was um, a mannequin. When I looked at the photographs, I I, I sort of did not get that sense. Uh, however, it, it does happen. It happened with Kim Barry, the case down in Wollongong, where the gentleman that found her headless body, he when he first spoke to the police, he was convinced that he'd actually found a mannequin. Right. And, and But but upon closer inspection, I guess your brain sort of can't really, initially can't compute and doesn't want to compute the, the reality of what you're seeing. I just can't imagine that a human looking at this particular extraordinary site.
3: The way in which it was talked about and the way in which people comprehend that sort of violence is very strange. I mean, I'm looking at an article here From the declassified FBI records, Uh, this is a clipping from the LA Times released on the 17th of January, so two days after the body was found, Um, and just tell me what you think of the way this is phrased, okay? New torture disclosed by autopsy. Fingerprints tentatively identify the attractive victim of a brutal sex fiend murder found Wednesday in vacant lot near Norton Avenue and 39th Street as Elizabeth Short, 22 of Santa Barbara. Now... Referring to her as attractive in the first sentence is bizarre, but I will keep reading because this does link back to the torture thing you were talking about. Can I keep reading? Yep. Okay. The identification gleaned from the vast fingerprint files of the government agency was made as scores of persons telephoned and visited the homicide detail in City Hall, claiming the girl to be a relative or friend. I find this very interesting. People kind of just clamoring here. One youth was questioned at the city jail as a possible suspect in the sadistic slaying while in the coroner's office, an an autopsy physicians announced that Miss Short died of hemorrhage and shock. The young woman's mouth was slit with a knife three inches on each side. While she was still alive, the doctors said. There you go. You were right. This plus a concussion of the brain induced by blows on the head caused her death, they stated. Other mutilation of the body, which was found out in half sorry, which was cut in half and otherwise desecrated occurred after death, in their opinion. The FBI files disclosed the victim's identity after the Times' wide classification of her fingerprints to Washington. No definite address was available, available Santa Barbara, according to the... Here we go. Okay. I find that interesting. First of all, we're going to come back to the forensics later on because, yeah, they used an almost primitive prototype fax machine to get the fingerprints sent around. But I find it very interesting that yeah, they figured out that this uh, Glasgow kiss was done while she was alive. That is fucking mm. horrifying. And it's like... But let, let's wind back to the start of the article. Mm. What do you think about beginning by describing that she was attractive in the first sentence? <clears throat>
2: uh, Paul, it's um, it's interesting that you mention that because mm. an article that I've wanted to read... Right. Um, and this is just going to punctuate what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. This is a... Um, the, the article is titled Slaying of Seven San Diego Women, okay? So in San, Diego's, San Diego is Diego's she Just down got the coast. A,
3: no, but I'm saying that's where she got
2: a ride she, from. Correct, yeah. Okay. That's right. So, officers in the border city immediately yeah. feared that San Diego's sadistic woman killer, already believed responsible for at least seven unsolved murders, was on the prowl again for 15 years and psychologists police have agreed that the killer was a sexual sadist whose crimes increased in brutality by studying the records of unsolved cases they conjectured that miss short who worked and lived in san diego could well be the mad killer's latest victim in the most brutal crime of them all but now i just need to to just bring you up to speed with with what you were talking about the the you know the, the description description of women at the time Mm-hmm. It says, the string of unsolved crimes began in February 1931 when Virginia Brooks, 10-year-old schoolgirl, was lured into an auto, raped and murdered. Her body, trussed in a gunny sack, was found months later. What's On a gunny April- sack? Is that like a... I'm, of- I was going to check it out. I, I, I don't know. That's Okay. Um, And then on April the 25th of the same year, the body of Dolly Bibbins, and here we go, attractive well-to-do widow. Yeah, there we go. Okay, that's then two weeks later, Hazel Bradshaw, beautiful 22-year-old telephone operator. Then it talks about... um, The argument, I guess, Dad, just quickly, I think the argument, I assume, if you're
3: being generous, would be that it's very useful to know that the killer has a type. Okay,
2: yeah. Cool. Um Look.
3: Potent- it, potentially.
2: Yeah. It, it just goes on about um, uh, pretty Louise to a seventeen year old. It talks about sixteen year old high school beauty. Mm-hmm. uh And it goes on. Yeah. Every single victim. It did kind of strike me as being uh, sort of very prevalent in the way, you know, of the day. Bearing yeah. in mind that we are looking back. Um. You know. It's a different look. It's you cannot. Era.
3: You cannot judge. No. You know. No. It's got to be, yeah. Um, Listen, I've got an article here from, I don't know what newspaper this is. Again, this is from the redacted files, from the um unredacted files, sorry. Uh, and this is from a newspaper article on the 17th. And this goes into a bit more detail about the actual um things done to her body. Mm. Now, here we go deputy autopsy surgeons reported finding three deep abrasions on the forehead just over the right eye. These indicated Miss Short had been severely slugged by a blunt instrument which may have caused concussion. Her skull was not fractured.
4: Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right.
0: For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.
3: When the young woman's body was found, some small pieces of flesh were missing. These were found by autopsy surgeons. And then a new subheading here, Tied for Torture. And um, this gets a bit graphic. And again, this is in a newspaper. So people were picking up the paper at breakfast and reading this. Marks around the girl's legs, wrists, neck, and right thigh showed she had been tied with rope or wire prior to her death. Detective Lieutenants Harry Hansen and F.A. Brown, and what's very interesting is they were the ones uh, named at the bottom of the the police journal... um, article that we read at the start of the last episode, said they believed she had been bound and tortured before her murderer carried her body to the Norton Avenue Lover's Lane for disposal. I wasn't actually aware that this vacant lot was referred to as Lover's Lane. Maybe that's just a kind of, um, like a catch-all term for any any area where people would yes. go to kind of make out. Mm. Uh, it says, so shocked by the details of the butcher murder with the city officials that a $10,000 reward was planned for the capture of the Slayer City Councilman Lloyd G. Davis said he will ask the posting of the reward at earliest opportunity.
2: Um, now, <clears throat> Paul, we talk about <clears throat> how they identified her. Sure. So, a crime scene is established. Okay. Now, it, it became a bit of a circus. Right. There were cars. There were hundreds of people. People were Press, actually standing everything. on on top of cars. You know, on the roofs. Mm. Um, it was it was big, big. Look, if that happened in, I guess, anywhere in the world that same crime it it would be absolutely uh, it would be big news and people it, it would be but I don't like to normalize you know things and say things are worse now worse back then but this clearly back in the 1940s in Los Angeles was mm-hmm. was an horrific crime I think I think the nature of the crime we're talking about Paul, it, it has stood the test of time. It is regarded in terms of what happened to her body as it's pretty well... I, I'm i just trying to th- imagine something worse and it's just... It's terrible. I mean, there were some very, very serious sort of fucked up murders and there always are and there always will be. Mm-hmm. But this particular one is, is intriguing and I'm really looking forward to discussing... With you in episode three, of some of of my theories, which are quite quite fascinating. Um, this is such an interesting story. But I just want to talk for a, for a minute about how they actually identified her. They yes. would have had they would have had a fingerprint technician. Well, it
3: took them time
2: to do it, this. It took them a long time because it's so weird. And 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 again, I I, I dug this up not in the newspapers. This right. came from the FBI files. Yes, I've got the. I
3: think I've got the same one here. Is this about sound photo? Yes, but something happened prior
2: to that. Okay, okay, it go on. It was very, very expensive to send that type of image. Believe it or not, listeners, when I worked at the Central Fingerprint Bureau, we had that same system that was on the way out, I, I grant you, mm-hmm. but we used to get sent photographs of fingerprints taken generally through Interpol okay. and quite often in Europe, for example. If there'd been an Australian that had been involved in, in say, an avalanche, they had managed to lift prints off the cadaver. Mm-hmm. Then they would use a photographic technique, and I'll never forget this this weird kind of spinning wheel, and you'd it, 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 you'd watch it, and there'd be this photographic paper attached to it, and the the image would slowly appear on this photographic paper. Then you would wait till the whole print had come through then you would disconnect and pull the paper off and then you could categorize and you know start the process of of examining the fingerprint and you know sort of doing all the computations to actually try and identify it but it was a technique that I saw being used in the central fingerprint bureau in Australia in 19 I guess the mid 80s okay so it was still being used but there's more to this story and this is And for those fingerprint people out there and people that are interested in sort of the minute details of this case, uh, I think this is quite fascinating. They had a fingerprint technician examine her prints. So they would have had to lift the prints, which they would have used what's called a morgue spoon, which is sort of a curved... We have discussed it over the years, Paul. Yes. yes. And you'd insert um, a fingerprint form and you'd ink up her fingers. I imagine they... On the balance of probabilities in this case they probably had two technicians um this would have been done at the morgue this would not have been done in my opinion at the crime scene it would have been too i don't think it would have been cool Uh, i don't think in those days they set tents up around around the people yes they had a crime scene but i've seen the photographs and there are members of the public basically just all looking in at the at the horror Whereas in today's situations, you're like with motor vehicle accidents, if there's a fatality, you know how you see they shroud it to protect the sanctity of the people in the car, for example, or the scene. It's all, you know, it's a lot more discreet because now we've got helicopters, the media, they're sort of trying to sort of, you know, get get the scoop. Um, But someone would have lifted the prints by inking up the pads of her fingers. Now, this is so weird. And I sort of, I know I'm leading up to something, but I found it a little bit exciting. And that was that, the person did the mathematical computation of the type of fingerprint and he came up with a classification. He then sends the classification to their fingerprint bureau. They get this, like a mathematical code mm. and they said, we can't identify anyone using these, basically these algorithms that you've sent us. And just that is weird, listeners. I want you all to realize that sending, look, I'm trying to give you a, an analogy of what that means and how it was kind of weird to do that but then because it was expensive to do this this second system that you speak about Paul you know that f- sort of photography
3: the sound photo yeah sound photo it was expensive
2: yeah. and they then sent images to the bureau and even though some of the impressions that were taken were not that good and I guess that's a little bit of a problem insofar as the person that originally inked up her fingers assuming that there were no wounds on her fingers in terms of you know defensive wounds mm-hmm. if there had been defensive wounds that then would possibly answer as to when the offender cut her mouth, maybe she, you know, struggled, although I believe she was completely tied down. Or so concussed and
3: completely, in, yeah. In yeah, it, so
2: yeah. Um, the person that that originally um, inked up her fingers and then, you know, got those initial prints, you know, some of the, uh, the prints were smudged, which creates a real drama for the person sitting down. But look, once they got the photograph and they did all the, the computations, they classified them, they made a positive ID. And we go back to episode one where she was arrested at the age of 19 for being the equivalent of sort of drunken disorderly. Yeah. Who would have known that that minor infraction with the law would have then facilitated the identification? And it was a very, very... It happened more, you know, very, very quickly. And within 24 hours, they, they'd identified her and then they began the process. But the media was so frenzied. And some of the stories that I've read through the FBI files, it's staggering in that the media actually had representatives placed in the detectives' offices. And when people were phoning up with clues and hints and information about this particular case, quite often, and this is very, very um, sort of against all protocols, and this is so incredible, the the media that were sort of stationed and positioned within the, um, you know, the homicide squad and all the yeah. detectives' offices. Some of these, some of these journalists would get it. Get ready for this. They'd pick up the phone. They'd get a really red hot bit of information. Guess what? They wouldn't tell the police. They would then leave the office and go out and follow the leads themselves. Can you comprehend?
3: Well, yes. I mean, look at the Daily Mail. Look at—I mean, this is this is not new, but it's sad that it would take place during such a tragedy. Speaking of tragedy, Dad, I've had a bit of a, th- a bit of a niggle with one of these facts because I keep looking at what was done to her body. You know, yep. literally just cut into pieces, and I keep thinking how hard that would be to do, and the word butchery keeps coming up. Now there were—I think there were rope burns. Mm. Um, on her wrists and ankles. Mm. My concern there is that she was literally strung up, and that's how the killer. Uh, you know, I think I think he literally hung her up and butchered her. Mm. I mean, what do you think of that theory? Did you know uh, about the rope burns
2: on the wrists? Cause yeah, that- but I, I don't. I don't agree, Paul. I, I think this was someone that um, that really had a very very fine knowledge. I believe.
3: But I'm saying, do you not think she would have had to be tied up for that? Oh, she was tied up. No, I mean, sorry, strung up. I mean, Um,
2: I I have a feeling there there were some similar cases where people were tied, strung up, basically, and disemboweled against you know tied between trees. Yeah, which were absolutely, and these cases were happening around that same period. But I have a feeling that this particular. the process of, of of torture and and the cutting in two and um, you know removal of tattoo removal of skin strips are uh, I believe that happened in a very very quiet controlled environment and something that I also need to bring to the attention of all the listeners hmm. is that one of the things that they noted during the postmortem they know they they noticed that with inside the uh, the actual you know, where all her main organs are, mm-hmm. they discovered a number of um, bristles off, br- off a brush. Did you know that? No. Okay. These bristles, they found two of them. They then realized that the offender slash offenders, male or female, or possibly a combination, they had actually aside from draining the, the body of all its blood, they had used a brush and they had scrubbed all the internal organs. And in doing so, they left two of these brush fibers. Right. Do you not find that bizarre? It's very odd, Dad. It's really odd. To, to, to actually scrub out the body. Yeah. It's It's... Um, So, look, another thing, another one of the wounds that they don't talk about, because I've I've seen the photographs, Mm -hmm. there seems to be a very, very deep or deeply incised and very traumatic wound.
3: Actually, yes, to that bristles point, Dad, here, I have found a letter in the FBI files uh, regarding Elizabeth Short. This is, uh, in a sec... I found a letter here sent to the FBI. Dear sir, on the early morning of January 4th, 15th, 1947. And this is straight to the, this is to the uh, FBI laboratory. Um, the mutilated body of Elizabeth Short was found in a vacant lot in a residential section of Los Angeles. She was last seen live, according to the information thus far available to the police, the night of 9th of January 1947, when she was dropped off in the lobby of the Biltmore Hotel, blah, blah, blah. The body was cut into around the waist with a very sharp instrument, and the cut was very cleanly done. None of the internal organs being touched except to sever the intestines. To cut through the backbone was very cleanly done. There were other cuts on the body, including the removal of one breast. We hadn't talked about that yet, and I, I know why, because it's terrible. There is some speculation that the murderer had some training in dissection of bodies. When found, the body was thoroughly scrubbed and there was no blood in it. Several bristles apparently from the brush were found in the breast wound and al- and among the internal organs leading to the belief that a brush was used in scrubbing the body. I am enclosing two bristles and yes, there is a um, photocopy of uh, of the envelope with the bristles so you can actually see this. I am enclosing two bristles which were found on the body and am cooper a- as a co- and am as a cooperative measure with the LA Police Department. I'm requesting the technical laboratory to make an examination of these bristles. It would be of considerable assistance to have the bristles described as to size, quality, and type, particularly as to whether they are wire or fiber or some other composition. If the laboratory has any information as to the types of brushes in which these bristles are used, it would be of assistance. It is felt that the murder was committed indoors, where water drainage facilities and perhaps medical equipment was available. Mm. The possibility has even been advanced that some medical student residing in an undertaking establishment, which is done in this area, might have committed the offense. Any possible leads that the laboratory can suggest would be appreciated. The bristles should be returned when they have served their purpose. If it is necessary to destroy them in the examination, there is no objection to such action action. Mm. Uh, and that was sent across to the FBI lab. Dad we're kind of getting into the territory we want to cover next week which is trying to figure out who did it because obviously the implication that it might be a medical student uh, and they uh, I mean that is that is kind of heading, heading in the direction we're going to be talking about in next week's episode where we start kind of weighing up who did it? Some of the prominent theories, some of the possibilities. Everyone's got an opinion as to who the killer is in this case, but it's still an unsolved crime. So next week on Loose Units, The Shadow Files, in part three of our look at the murder of Elizabeth Short, a.k.a. The Black Dahlia, we are going to look through who it might have been, some of the speculations, some of the theories and some of the unsolved aspects of this case. In the meantime take a breather if this case is too much. It's incredibly graphic and very strange and we're, we're both finding it very harrowing but we're going to push through and next week we're going to keep looking at this case. In the meantime, have a great week, everybody and we will see you very, very soon for another episode of Loose Units. Bye-bye.
2: Cheerio.
4: Small details or big surfaces? Tight corners or odd shapes? Flat, rounded, textured or tall? Whatever your next project... There's a spray paint pattern that's just right because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns so you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum.
0: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact